Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Well, happy Monday morning to you. It is the Michael Dukes Show, broadcasting across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. And live around the world at MichaelDukeShow.com on the interwebs. Hello and good morning to you. Are you ready? Apparently, we're having a tropical heat wave across the state. 27 degrees here uh, at the old radio ranch with some new snow. Somebody in the chat room just said it's uh, 18 above in Fairbanks. And uh, I guess it's, uh, I mean, that's what we're looking for. Uh, you know, not too bad, not too, you know, it's not not too bad at all. Uh, ready to go. We're going to dive into it here this morning, though, get things uh, kicking off and ready to start. In hour one, we're going to get a preview of the legislative session with our friend, uh, Representative Ben Carpenter, who's going to come on board and share with us his thoughts on what we can expect, which, uh, newsflash, is not going to be, you know, it's not, it's, well, it's going to be challenging. Let's just put it that way. I'm not expecting a whole lot. I have, I've set my expectations accordingly for the upcoming legislative session. We'll have a chat with him about that. And then in hour two, we'll do some recap and some headlines and some of the other stuff that's going out there. Uh, we're, <clears throat> we're ready to dive right into it. So shall we get ready for the first full week of 2024 and get things uh, going on? I think we shall. Let's, uh, Let's jump into this and uh, and and start the old. Uh, just get started. Uh, ben Carpenter joins us this morning uh, to discuss uh, this and so much more. Good morning, my friend. How are you this morning? Good morning. I'm doing well. Can you hear me, Michael? Deuce? I can hear you. I can hear you, Ben Carpenter. You can hear you. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, and uh, and hi. Uh, Happy New Year to you, my friend. You and I haven't had a chance to talk since uh, before Christmas, so. How were how was your holidays? Was it uh, was it happy happy? You got your cinnamon rolls and everything else. Was it a was it a good time? It was a good family time. We did have the uh, flu bug and some other kind of bug floating around since before Christmas. So I am still um, I'm feeling much better today. But I've been under the weather for I don't know pretty near two weeks now. Yeah, no, there's a nasty nasty flu bug that's been going around for a while. There, a lot of folks have gotten hit by it. So. <clears throat> I definitely, uh, definitely understand. Well, Ben, I wanted to uh, take a chance here and uh, take a take an opportunity to kind of, uh, uh, you know, go over what we can expect for the coming year. I, as I said earlier in my little tease here, my preview, I don't have super high expectations because, well, nothing has changed since last session, right? I mean, we're in the mid-session break. Uh, you know, there's no changing of the players. There's no uh, changing of the structure. Uh, or anything else. And there was, you know, there was some disappointment um, coming up into the end of the last session with uh, the way that the Senate treated the House and and how there was some capitulation there, some of us felt like, and everything else. But we've got this whole new session kicking off a week from tomorrow. And uh, 
So I thought I would uh, start off with you and maybe we can again, uh, you know, kind of looking at the recap of where we were and do we expect to see something similar uh, coming up in this session? And then we can get down into some particulars, but I'll give your, your, your overview thoughts here to begin with. Let's get started. Well, thanks, Michael. I, my crystal ball is as good as the next guy. So, um, <laughs> well, well, you've been well, there, done that, got the t-shirt, so to speak. So you have at least a little <laughs> bit of a better handle on how things are down there than, uh, than most of us. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, I, I understand your very practical assessment on, on what to expect. Um, I don't know that I <clears throat> disagree too much, but I am choosing to remain positive. Um, I think that it would be helpful for the electorate to have a a um, higher expectation of what should happen down in the legislature, even if even if they're um, not going to be surprised in what what actually happens. But we we legislate legislators. We need to know that the people are actually expecting great things of us. If we head down there in a week here or less than a week now, and we know that people don't expect great things of us, then there's not much to disappoint. Well, yeah, I mean, look, so, I, I want to be a, I want to be a glass, ha glass half full kind of guy, uh, and I want to think that we can overcome, and I think we can. I think it's just a heavy lift, and again, you know, past performance is indicative of future results, kind of thing, you know. So, yeah, we know that it, you know, that what, no matter what happens, it is going to be an uphill battle. I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer here, and you're right. We should always accentuate the positive and eliminate the negative as much as we can. Um, but we should also in some ways be quasi realistic, right? I mean, that's kind of, we've got to, we, we've got to be optimistic, cautiously optimistic, I guess, is what was, is the direction we should be going. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. And I, I think that's what you're going to see from our, our majority, um, in the house. Uh, not sure what you'll see from the Senate, probably same as similar as what you saw last time, but you know, our, our caucus priorities are still being refined. We're going to have a conversation. When we get down to Juno here about it. Um, I guess there's a few things that I would highlight that I think are our priorities right now. Uh, no particular order here, but um, reducing the cost of energy along the rail belt and in Western Alaska is going to be one of the things that we're, we're keen on looking at. Um, improving our port and railroad infrastructure and addressing our aging ferries is still a you know, a perennial problem that we have, and we're going to be kind of focused on that. Um, reducing the hot cost of healthcare is a major driver in both local and, and state government um, cost increases, and we need to reduce the cost of, of healthcare, and I think there's some ideas on how to do that. Um, improving education funding is going to be a priority um, for many members of the legislature, not just our caucus. And then, of course, balancing the budget is is the a priority for us. So I think in some flavor, you're going to see those things come out of the House or at least be attempt to be a focus going into this legislature. Um, I don't know that we really have an economy <laughs> that can sustain those these lofty <laughs> goals. Um, we don't also have a state fiscal plan that... <laughs> prioritizes or is designed to grow our economy right um uh, it's gonna be um it's gonna be interesting to see what the just the decisions are being made this year um well it's interesting to see you know some of the priorities that you've just talked about which were 
on no one's list for what we're seeing coming out of the Senate majority and uh, and many of the other uh, the of the House minority as well. Um, you know, the the one thing that seems to be sucking up all the oxygen in the room is the discussion on, uh, of course, the school funding, uh, which is tailed on very quickly by the benefits for state employees. And I mean, it, it's it seems to be kind of a stark difference of the two different um you know, the tale of two cities, so to speak, you know, one which is focused predominantly on uh, taking care of people in the private economy and making sure that services are working. And the other one, which seems to be all about making sure that we are protecting government programs and making sure that the government folks are taken care of. And I think that that is just a snap. It's a microcosm of what we've been facing here over the last, you know, 10 years here in the, in the legislature. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, over the last decade, if you're counting from 2013, right? So over the last decade, roughly, we've seen over a 10% drop in our state's GDP. We, we used to be around $55 billion state economy, right? Measured uh, the, the economic engine of the state. And most recent numbers um, now put us down below 50 billion for our economic engine. So just from, from fiscal year 20 to 2022, we were looking at a, a two and a, almost two and a half, 2.2% decrease in our economic engine. So what, what does the state government look like if our economic engine is dropping? Does that matter to Alaskans? Like if, if we have less jobs and, and people are finding it more challenging to find jobs or, or live in the state, what, what has happened to the state government? So from fiscal year 20 to current uh, budget uh, pro, um, projection, the governor's budget, we have seen a 3.2% increase in the number of state employees. So in fiscal year 20, we we're roughly 20,277 employees. And in this new budget, we're 20,931. So that's a 3.2% increase since fiscal year 20 and the number of employees that we're going to have. That's, that's actually an overall decrease over the last decade. Um, our permanent full-time employees in 2013 was 21,843 for that year's budget. So we're, we're actually a um, little, little over 4% reduced on the size of our uh, number of employees from 2013, but we've added 654 employees since 2020, fiscal year 20. Right. Well, and unfortunately what's really crazy, what's really crazy, Michael, is that if you take the personnel line mm -hmm. cost of our state budget in the, over that same time frame, <laughs> we added 654 employees and we added $600 million. Yeah. Oh, man, it's a million bucks an employee for every new employee. No, I mean, that's the thing, though. If you talk to any business owner, the largest line in any budget is always about labor, right? It's always the workers. Mm -hmm. That's always the one. And that's the one that you can usually have the least impact on because it's a function of the market and inflation and many other things. It's the one place that the only way you can cut it is by actually cutting employees. You can't actually usually reduce those uh, amounts. And it's pretty astonishing um, that, 
you know, in Alaska, especially, we have that severe disconnect, which we've you and I have talked about before between the public and the private economies. It's not like the public sector, the government is dependent on whether or not the private sector does well. Uh, I mean, you you said, uh, you know, do people even care that the uh, uh, that the you know, that the that the private sector is doing well, the GDP is up or down, doesn't really matter. Um, my argument would be, well, really, no, because they're not seeing any of the it does not impact their ability to generate revenue at that point. They're getting their revenue from the permanent fund. They're getting their revenue from <clears throat> the earnings uh, of the uh, the ERA and then from direct oil royalties and revenues. And so to them, does it really matter? I mean, to quote to, to that famous quote, does it really matter at that point? And we are unique in that, in that it just doesn't affect them one way or the other. Well, look at it from the perspective of the revenue for the state. Uh, UGF revenue in fiscal year 20. So I, I'm using fiscal year 20 because that's you know basically when I came on board in the legislature. Our, our UGF revenue is um, $2.75 billion. Our fiscal year 25 projected revenue is 2.65 so we've 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 decreased our general fund revenue by 3.6 percent yet increased our employee base by three plus percent added 600 million dollars in costs and the numbers from the 10-year plan which we went over with brad last week are just i mean you just see it it just keeps going up and up and up and up with the revenues continuing to either hold steady or decline. Um, and I mean, I, you know, again, I'm not trying to be, you know, sour grapes here, but there is a fiscal cliff eventually that's going to, I mean, math, uh, mathematics matter, you know, arithmetic doesn't lie. And eventually that stuff's going to come, you know, come home to roost, so to speak. Well, you can, you can see where the legislature's focus is going to be, though. If you've got a declining general fund revenue and no real way to encourage or, or influence what happens with that general fund revenue, um, you are going to focus on the thing that really matters, which is where, where can you, where's the money growing at? So it, our percent of market value draw from the permanent fund in fiscal year 20 was $2.7 billion, and it is projected to be $3.6 Billion. So we've seen a 35% increase in the amount of money available from the permanent fund in that same time frame. Right. So it, take a look at what's coming from federal government. <laughs> yeah. $4 billion. $4 billion is what came from federal government in fiscal year 20. And this current budget projection is 6.2. Right. Right. So that's a 56% that's a increase in federal money. So if you really look at what where the increase in funds um, is coming from for the government growth, it's from the permanent fund earning and it's from federal dollars. Our our private sector, our revenue generated because of taxes, general fund dollars and DGF, uh, designated right. fund money, is stagnant or decreasing. Right. That's and That's the economic engine of the state where most people live and work. Is it is a is a decreasing factor for them. And those are, by the way, those are finite sources of revenue. What he's talking about coming from the permanent fund or from the federal government, 
those are finite those are finite resources there's not it's not inexhaustible and we're going to talk about that here uh, on the other side uh, ben carpenter is our guest we will continue here with our preview of the upcoming legislative session get his thoughts on it where we need to focus as citizens how can we how can we help those folks down in the legislature and more the michael luke show common sense liberty-based free thinking radio we return with more right after this Listened to by more staffers in Juno than <coughs> any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're gonna be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, we're in the break. Uh Ben Carpenter is our guest. Uh, as we, uh, as we go through, uh, and I want to, I mean, I want to hit on that again, uh, when we come back, did you see what the Biden administration released into the federal register on Friday? I did not. Um, they extended the, uh, what they called the, ob- the, uh, obligation, um, you know, all that COVID money, right. Was supposed to be obligated, uh, by the end of the year. January 1st, um, and so that they could get it all done and they had to have it obligated and spent by the end of this year. And the Biden administration late on Friday put a new uh, regulation in the Federal Register, a new uh, thing that basically said now they've got another year to spend because they were supposed to return this money at the end of this year if they hadn't obligated it and they had a very specific definition of what obligated meant. And they extended it another year. So states don't have to give back. And they estimated that only about 35 to 40 percent of that money has been spent. Most of it's just sitting around, you know, waiting for pet projects to be created. And like these these new bathrooms in uh, in Anchorage where they're going to spend half a million dollars per bathroom to make, you know, they're going to get 18 bathrooms for nine million dollars. And uh, that's one of the things that they're 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 using the ARPA funds for that. So, I mean, <clears throat> it's, uh, you know, but but again, those two things, and I want to talk about that when we get back, the permanent fund dividend monies and the federal monies, even though they've continued to go up, those are a finite resource in the end. Well, we were talking about what the increase in our um, uh, expenditures were or uh, agency operations, that type of thing. Um, inflation's only been mm, a little over 20% only. Only <laughs> a little over 20% in the same time frame, right? So what's what's driving that inflation? Well, by and large, it's all of that printed money, right? Federal dollars that just yeah. get printed out of thin air is driving up our inflation. And every time I hear some Republican tell me, "Well, you know, if we we don't say no, if we don't if we don't spend those federal dollars, somebody's going to spend them. So it might as well be us, right?" We say that out of one side of our mouth, and on the other side, we're like, "Oh, bad! This inflation's killing us, and yeah. we really should do something about that." And yeah. I'm thinking. Well, you know what? If every single Republican in every single administration in every single state is saying the same thing, well, somebody's going to spend it, so it might as well be us, then we're doing this to ourselves. Yeah, we have no one to blame. This inflation. But us. We have no one to blame. 
Yeah. I've, I've heard that argument. I remember when I was on the borough assembly and I don't remember what the project was, but there was some project that the borough government, that the, that the mayor wanted to do. And it was with federal dollars and everything else. And I voted and I was, I spoke pretty passionately about against it. I don't even remember what the project was. And I remember the chief of staff pulled me aside during a break before we made the vote on it. And he's like, I don't understand. The people really want this and, and it's free money. And, you know, and I'm like, it's not free money. And he goes, well, if we don't spend it, you know, somebody else will kind of thing. And I'm like, look, if the people really want it, they will tax themselves to pay for it. They will come to us and say, we really want you to spend this money. Money and we're willing to do a user fee or a tax or whatever if they really, really want it. What you're saying is, we've got all this free money. Would you like us to spend it on this? Of course they're going to say yes. I mean, that's insane if it's quote-unquote free money, but it's not free. And nobody, nobody, yeah, nobody buys it. Brian, well, we, yeah. we, should be, we should be saying, hey, you know, do we want to tax our grandchildren or their children exactly. in order to pay for this? I mean, we're going to have that conversation this year. Yeah. There's going to be a, a um, proposal here to spend uh, 200 and $200 million, $206 million uh, to match federal funds in order to pay for an intertie. That's asking Americans, largely, uh, Alaskans too, because we pay federal income taxes, but Alaska, Alaskans and Americans in general, their grandchildren. Remember, we don't have a balanced budget at the federal level. So right. $200 million in federal funds is coming from some portion of our future generations taxes. Yeah, somebody else is going to somebody else has to pay for that. That's the bottom line. We we take sure. we we take more dollars, way more dollars in federal money than we do pay in federal taxes. So it's uh, we're a net uh, you know, net loss on that side of the thing. Okay, let's jump back into this here. The Michael Duke show, common sense, liberty-based, free thing in radio. Here we go. All right, welcome back. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, uh, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Representative Ben Carpenter is our guest, and we are talking about the upcoming session. Um, ben was just talking to us about, uh, you know, what has, uh, you know, where the budget's been growing and where the money's been coming from. And I left, uh, we left the last segment with me talking about, because he was pointing out that the two main growth factors in the budget, the two main pools of money are one, the permanent fund dividend, which the legislature's been deciding for every year for the last eight years and basically taking the lion's share of. And the other part is federal monies, both of which, as I said earlier, are finite pools of money. I mean, you can only take, once you take all of the PFD, that's it. And they're already taking 75% of it. So all they've got left is another 25%. And then on the federal government side, I mean, we're not quite insolvent, but you can see it from here. I mean, we are we haven't had a balanced budget in years. They keep kicking the can down the road. We are now approaching the point to where we're going to be spending a trillion dollars a year in debt service. Um, we were almost there this last year. Next year, it's going to be one point one something trillion dollars in debt service alone. It's a again, mathematics doesn't lie. Ben, um, 
those two pools are going to keep shrinking and we better get ready for it. Yeah, if you link the permanent fund earnings, right, how well the permanent fund is doing with its investments, and you link that to look at all of these investments with plenty of federal dollars flowing around in all of the different states and all of the different areas that the permanent fund invests, and you say, okay, well, is it really sustainable that over five years we increase in federal receipt of federal funds for the state of Alaska and 49 other states, whatever percentage increase they've seen? Is it really sustainable or is at some point in time the federal dollar is going to have to start shrinking that the state gets, right? So in fiscal year 20, it was $4 billion and it's $6.2 billion from the federal government now. So what happens to the permanent fund earnings when the federal dollars start drying up? Right. If they've you had can a 50, expect those if, investment earnings to go down. Yeah, if you've had a 50% increase in federal dollars, when that money starts to go away, they're going to be desperately grasping at every dollar leftover nickel anywhere else. And eventually, there's just not going to be enough to fill the gap. Yeah, so that's helped help fuel a, a 35% increase in our available permanent fund earnings. Right. So then we then we take the permanent fund earnings and we say, okay, do we want to spend some on government and some on the permanent fund dividend? And we in the legislature, we ignore the statute and and figure that out as to what that that portion is going to be. But when the federal dollars start to to decline in the future here, which they're going to, then you're going to see a corresponding decrease in our our um, nation's economic engine because there's going to be an impact to less federal dollars flowing through our our businesses and and all of the corruption that's happening in the in the entire country so (laughs) you see the the two sources of revenue that are increasing and then you see what is it what have we done with it at the state level right so our fiscal year 20 expenditures total state expenditures was 9.8 billion dollars in fiscal year 20 and this proposed budget this year that we'll be discussing is 14 billion Right. So we've seen a 43% increase in spending statewide. And if you look at the agency operations, we've got a 76% increase in UGF spending for state operations. Total total of 50% increase for, for five years just for agency operations. So the growth of government and the growth of uh, state employees is a major factor in driving the cost of our state government at a time when our state economic engine is in decline, our private sector is hurting, but our government sector is growing. Especially during the pandemic. That was the thing. You go to back to that 2020 baseline and you realize that was the pandemic year and it's just going up from there. That is just oof, bad. That that is just so painful. You've you've got to ask a question at this point in time. This is 2024. We're talking about the fiscal year 25 budget. And you got to ask the question, what is going to change? Absolutely. Well, so then I'll ask you that question. What is going to change? Again, as I mentioned earlier in the program, we haven't, there's been no changing of the players, no organizational structural change in the legislature. This is basically part du. This is the second half of the session. Um, We've already seen in the newspapers and in the media outlets and in their press releases, the things that they're going to be focusing on, which predominantly are, uh, you know, school funding, uh, defined benefits plan, 
um, child care, state-funded child care. Those are really the big three uh, and everything else. You know, so what is going to change? That's the question. Well, that's it remains to be seen what our finance teams are going to do. Are, are they going to be able to control spending and, uh, and their desires? You know, all of the priorities that I listed earlier, you know, regarding uh, reducing the cost of energy, reducing the cost of health care, improving education, improving our ports and railroad, all of that costs money. So, yes, a lot of it is, is uh, stuff that's needed. And yes, we really want to make it happen, but how are you going to pay for it? That's the, that's the crux of the problem that we have because no one's focusing on the system that we have of uh, where, our, where our state revenue comes from, the economic engine, right? We're focusing on our permanent fund earnings. We're focusing on federal dollars. That's where we, where we have money coming in. But no one says, what can we do in order to get more of the general fund dollars coming in from a growing economy. Remember, the economy has shrunk 10% over the last decade. So what is yeah. it that we should do in order to stem that shrinkage and, and go the other direction? Maybe we should think about our corporate income tax rate. We have one of the highest corporate income tax rates in the nation. If, if you're a big business and thinking about coming into Alaska because you see opportunity, if you're a C-Corp, you're going to pay and you, and you, you uh, generate over $222,000 of taxable income, you're going to pay, I think it's 9.4% income tax. Why, why would you do that? Why would you not look for some other opportunity somewhere else in the world or in right. the nation to take your money and, and invest if you know that roughly 10% of whatever it is that you make, you're going to have to pay to state taxes. The, the boards of directors of corporations are not going to want to do that. So why don't we talk about reducing the corporate income tax in order to incentivize corporations coming to the state of Alaska and, and uh, helping to lobby to get access to our resources? We, we've got a system that's, that's upside down when it comes to incentivizing economic growth, we've relied upon oil, this one trick pony for so long that now that the oil uh, is de in decline and the political pressures across the nation, across the world for growing an oil economy are, are, are insurmountable yeah. right. in the current administration. So we have, we, we need help. We need help from entrepreneurs in the state of Alaska to help grow this private sector economy that would help solve a lot of the budgetary problems that we have. But we got to do some restructuring in order to make that happen along, along taxes. We've got to reduce the tax burden and the size of our government if we want to see economic activity happen that, that grows our economic engine. Um, it's Donna makes the the comment in the chat room. The state economic engine is in decline because government is growing. It's not a coincidence. I mean, those two things, and you're 100 percent right. Those two things are not mutually exclusive, even though there's a disconnect, and it just makes it worse in Alaska because there is that disconnect between the public and the private economy. So they feel like there are no consequences to grow the size and scope of government in any other state. If this was happening. 
it would it would not continue because the private economy could not support that size and growth of government. But because we're divorced from that, they can grow it at whatever pace they want. And the uh, private economy just stutters along uh, trying to keep up and trying to uh, to make it through. And that, unfortunately, seems to be the status quo for the I mean, the the, the legislature just seems to be OK with that. Yeah, sorry, Michael, I lost my uh, my microphone here just a second. Uh, I could still hear you. So you're, we're still. Uh, OK, well, I'll just I'll just speak up then. Yeah, you're absolutely right. If, if we're going to add six hundred and fifty four employees over the last five years and, and six hundred million dollars worth of uh, personnel services costs but our economy is not growing to sustain that then it's coming out of permanent fund dollars that's what we're doing we're, we're growing state government and we're reducing the amount of money that can go to private sector to families in the form of a permanent fund dividend check and we're growing state government that's what we're doing right it's, it's not it's not like i'm making this up i just I just went to the Office of Managing Budget Budget website and quickly compared the budgets from 2020 to 2025. This isn't this isn't make believe math. It's a this simple. Is what's happening? It's a simple spreadsheet. Here it is on your Excel sheet. I just took the numbers and plugged them in, and there you there you go. That's it. So we want to have a conversation about what we're going to do this year. We've got all these lofty goals of things that we want to. You got to grow the economy and cut the government. If you want to get things done infrastructure wise, you've got to grow the economy and cut state spending. Period. Oh, we've cut it to the bone. Isn't that what we've heard? I mean, you just started talking about, you know, double digit growth across the last, uh, you know, three, five, eight, ten years. Uh, all these things that oh, you yeah. just talked about the growth, but we've cut it to the bone. That's what we've heard for these guys. We We're couldn't gonna- find another place to cut. We're going to get into it. We're going to get into it. This uh, again, this session about defined benefits. We need to have a another tier of defined benefits because we've got a, a recruiting and retention problem in in state government. Okay, yeah, yeah. that's complete. Barbara Streisand. That's... Over five years, we've added, we've increased six hundred and fifty-four employees and six hundred million dollars in personal services. Yeah. No, it's not. It's it's a, and and the biggest thing is, Ben, and we'll get into this in the next segment. Is that there is no long term fiscal plan. That's the thing. There is no plan to fix what's going on. It's just kind of a shot in the dark. Anytime it's talked about, oh, we can't do that. That would constrain us. We can't do that. Oh, that would constrain it. Oh, we can't do that. It's like there is just this complete aversion to kind trying to live within our means or trying to at least come up with some kind of idea as to what's, uh, you know, what we should do. And we'll talk about that on the other side. Ben Carpenter is our guest. We will be, uh, we'll be back. The Michael Duke show, common sense, Liberty based free thinking radio back with more right after this. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these uh, entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com.
Yeah, it's uh, I can't imagine this has definitely got to be an exercise in frustration to go down there and have to deal with this kind of stuff. And we're going to talk about the fiscal plan and everything else when we get back, Ben. But uh, yeah, I mean, this idea that somehow we're going to, you know, first of all, we've got a, a you know, they keep pointing to the teachers as being one of the main reasons why they need to do the defined benefits. We need more teacher. We're having a teacher retention. N- nobody's mentioning the fact that they're having a teacher retention problem nationwide. If it has nothing to do with necessarily the, the benefits or the monies or anything else, it's a problem just in the whole system because nobody in the country has got all the teachers that they want. Uh, there's just something fundamentally broken in what's happening out there. But nobody's mentioning that. And, of course, utilizing that as an excuse to then springboard and have – because if you put one group on a defined benefits program, they're all going to be on it. It'll be all 25,000 state employees uh, plus university plus school districts plus municipalities. It's something like 40,000 people that could all of a sudden be on a defined benefits program. And even the most rosy pictures is something like a billion uh, a billion dollars a year, $1.2 billion a year in costs. This is not a cheap date by any means. No, I, I'm I'm – firmly in the camp that this is a a a public sector union um greedy push for more money that's pure and simple what it is yeah i mean i just i just can't see it i mean and we by the way for those of you who don't know we still have a a, what a seven eight billion dollar unfunded liability from the first defined benefits tiers that we put in place Tiers, tiers one yeah. through three. It's six billion now, so we we've whittled it down a bit. But I mean, it's it's six billion dollars still unfunded that we are on the hook for, and you want to add more to it? I mean, that just that seems insane. It is. It is. We've got a we've got a um, a, a solution in the works here, a bill that's going to be put um, forward this legislature that's going to. Um, uh, improve our defined contribution system. If, if we're going to, um, and we've done some studying, the Reason Foundation has um, acknowledged to us or helped, helped us see that our, our defined contribution system, retirement system is not as competitive as it could be. And so we're, we're going to bring forward a bill that, that will um, increase state spending to bring our um, defined contributions up to a more competitive level and that's in in the, I'm, I'm a firm believer if we've got today's employees then we need to be spending today's dollars on them in, instead of creating a new retirement system that requires future dollars future state dollars to be spent on current year employees w- when they retire so <clears throat> this this should um, be an alternative to a defined benefit system that we just simply can't afford. It is the wrong thing to do, especially when you've got an economy that can't support the increase that you're you're taking on. Well, I know there's a lot of folks at the Reason Foundation who've been studying this issue very, very closely, uh, not just in the state of Alaska, but across the country, as far as defined benefits and defined contributions and what works and what doesn't. Uh, they've had several, uh, they've had several very, very good pieces over the last couple of years on that. And so I look forward to seeing what your what your bill will be and and what it means, and we'll see if we can get some folks on from Reason to talk about it. But again, you're growing. 
the you know, 600 new employees. It doesn't seem like you're having a hard time recruiting new people uh, when that, <laughs> when you're adding yeah, that's not, to the mix. That's, you not know? Gro- that's not growing. Yeah. That's what we have grown. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and of course, the rest of the time, all I'm hearing about in the private sector from, uh, you know, my customers and people out on the street and businesses that I talk to is, you know, they're struggling. They're struggling with, uh, you know, with the downtimes of the economy. They're struggling trying to get people to come in and just work. A, I mean, I went to a Safeway the other day and they were closing. They closed the freaking hot counter at the deli at like 430 in the afternoon because and the meat counter. I was there just before five and they're like, yeah, we're going home. They, we don't have any people. to. They, they can't find an employee to make 20 bucks an hour, 25 bucks an hour to work a meat counter at a Safeway. What is going on? You know? Um, is it all just because they're dangling the, the, the big dollars from government in front of people? I don't know. I have no idea what's going on, but I know that the private economy is struggling. And as far as I'm concerned, the public economy should be struggling just along with it. It shouldn't be all roses and caviar on the one side and, uh, you know, bread and water on the other, which is what we've got right now. So, um, 30 seconds here, Ben. We're about ready to rejoin. We're going to talk a little bit again about uh, the long-term fiscal plan and uh, what are the chances of something like that coming out again. We saw kind of the whole poo parade that it was this last session, and uh, we'll we'll see what uh, comes out of that here in just a second. The Michael Duke Show continues. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like, share, subscribe, follow, ring the bell, do all the stuff. Let's get to it. Here we go. Public enema number one. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, Enemy. Public enemy number one, which uh, makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh, Michael Duke show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Pain in the something or other. Welcome back to the program. Representative Ben Carpenter is our guest. We're talking about the upcoming legislative session, and uh, we've covered a lot of different things here this morning. Uh, ben has laid out some just some raw numbers coming right off the state website. It's not like it's some kind of secret accounting sorcery or anything. It's just like this is the number from this year, this is the number from that year, and here's the difference. And it's kind of shocking when you break it down like that, Ben. And I don't think I don't think a lot of people have heard that. But the bottom line is this. We have no fiscal plan in this state moving forward. It's like we're 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 going from one fire to the another, putting it out each and every year. And there is no long-term fiscal plan on to how we're doing it. And you tried You know, first of all, you were part of the fiscal policy working group, which came up with a bipartisan plan. You know, you had liberals and Republicans, conservatives and Democrats and, you know, donkeys, elephants, armadillos. You had all everything together and they all came together and had, you know, they they voted. It was unanimous. Here's the decision. Here's what we should do. There was eight or nine different points that we all agree on that they all need to be taken on holistically, that you can't just piecemeal it. And everybody agreed, which is shocking in and of itself. And then you've attempted over the last two years to try and get that in place. And there's just zero interest in the legislature to, to, to deal with any of this. There's just zero interest to come up with a plan. And I'm just convinced at this point it's because nobody wants to constrain their power. What do you think is going to happen? Are we going to come up with some kind of because the, the answer from the Senate was, well, 75-25, that's our fiscal plan. 
even if that was true, that's a very that's a self-licking ice cream cone, right? Because there's only so many permanent fund dollars. Seventy-five twenty-five becomes one hundred percent government spend. So, is there a fiscal plan outside of that, and where do we go from yeah. here? Well, well, the Senate's not putting the twenty-five seventy-five plan in the Constitution. They might pass a law no, that then they no. can just ignore the following legislature. I mean, it's it's silly, right? It's silly to say that we're going to hold ourselves to a some sort of a, a um, limit of spending on on permanent fund earnings by statute or by will of legislature. Right. I mean, that's that's silly. It's just a matter of time before our government grows. Right. We're the 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 Agency operations has grown 50% in five years. Okay. Yeah. It's going to continue to grow. 10% and a year. And the only place that we can get the money to grow is in the permanent fund earnings or federal dollars. And I'm, I'm arguing that at some point in time, we're going to see the federal dollars start to dwindle, which decrease, which will have a negative impact on our permanent fund earnings. And those that, economic engine, if you will, looking at it from the from that perspective for the permanent fund earnings is going to be in decline. We 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 have got to focus on growing the uh, the actual economy, which is where everybody lives and works, where you're actually what can we do? HDR seven's out there. HDR seven is a solution to the permanent fund problem in the constitution. That's the it cost says, that's the constitution. We're going right. to pay a PFD. Right. And that puts a constitutional amendment. It puts the We're, statutory formula in, or it's a modified, it's a 50, 50 split. It, it just, no, it just says we're going to pay a dividend according to, uh, according to statute. That's all, all the constitution will be amended to say in, in essence is we're, we're going to pay a dividend and then by statute, we're going to define what that, what that is. Right. It's defined in the statute right now. We just ignore it in the appropriations right. process. Right. So the very, very simple thing that we can do to force ourselves to start down a, a, a fiscally sane path is to say we're going to once and for all solve this problem with the permanent fund dividend by sending to the, the voters this next election. We'll send to them an amendment to the constitution that says there shall be a PFD because that's the crux of the problem right here. There are members of the legislature who are, who are not being completely honest with people and who would rather see the permanent fund dividend go away and allow all of those permanent fund earnings to be spent on state programs on, st on state government. And that's, what's going to happen. If, if you say that there's a, there's no fiscal plan out there, well, the lack of plan means we're going to spend permanent fund earnings on state government completely. There will be no dividend in the future. Right. Government is going to continue to grow. The only source of revenue that's growing is our permanent fund earnings. And that's what's going to, that's where it's going to be. Right. That's what's going to pay for the, the growth of government is your permanent fund um, dividend. So eventually it's going to go away. Now you tried to get some of the components of the fiscal policy working group plan into you know, out on the floor, up there for a vote. Uh, part of the problem is the single subject rule that, that uh, you know, I, I mean, to me, to me, it would seem that this is all a single subject since you're trying to create a long-term fiscal plan, but uh, apparently the legal scholars disagree with me. Um, and even just the two little components you tried to get through, 
I mean, it just they kind of hand grenaded at the end of the year. So what what is the plan for a fiscal plan coming into this next half of the session? Is any are we going to have any movement? Are you are we moving some of the same bills? Are we taking a different tact? Is there anything you could share with us uh, from the hopeful news on this uh, on this side? Well, I'm I'm going to take a little bit different tact. I'm I'm going to continue the message that says we've got to take baby steps. We can do one thing, this legislature, and that is to solve the PFD problem. Pass a constitutional amendment that just says the state of Alaska will pay a dividend as it's defined by statute. Just do that. And that gets us down the road of defining what the dividend is going to be in statute. And then we can have the conversation about revenue. But let's take a step towards fiscal sanity towards some sort of a fiscal plan that recognizes that we are going to have a dividend and it's going to be defined by statute. And then we can have a conversation about the other components that, that need to need to come into place. Here's, whether we're going to constrain constrain our spending or raise revenue or, or whatever. Here's something I don't understand, because I agree with you that there's a component <clears throat> in the legislature that just wants to see the PFD go away and see all that money spent for government. But, I mean, again, you've just pulled numbers right out of the OMB, right off the website. I've done the same thing. Brad has done a, a yeoman's job of spreadsheeting it out and showing you and everything else. I mean, what kills me is that these folks, I mean, again, government by its very nature is going to increase. If you did nothing, if the legislature didn't even seat itself and we just said put it on autopilot, we still go up $150 million a year just based on basic escalators. That money from the PFT will be gone in short order. Don't they, don't they see that? Don't they see that if we don't pull back on it a little bit that they'll get their wish but then two years after that, we'll be in real trouble. I mean, we'll start, you know, we'll start having a five, six, seven hundred million dollar deficit every year. Don't they see that trouble coming down? Well, that's what I'm trying to communicate. You've you've seen a 3.6% decrease in general fund revenue. That's just read that as oil revenue. 3.6% right. decrease in five years and a 35% increase in permanent fund earnings. That's that's the state's revenue that it can now do what it wants with, whether it's going to pay a dividend or whether it's going to pay a um, education or whatever other government program it is. 3.6% decrease in general fund revenue and 35% increase in, in um, permanent fund revenue. Okay? I, I don't know how to make it any more simple. Our economic engine that has largely been tied to the oil industry is in decline. It's been in decline for a decade. We have to do something to stem that decline. At the same time that we're in decline, we're growing the size of government, the cost of government. Our budget in five years ago was 9.8 billion and it is 14 billion this year. I mean, I don't know how to make it any more simple. Yeah, I don't know. How, I don't know how you make that any clearer <clears throat> when you look at the, the the billions and the billions, you know, 50 percent increase. And, and it's uh, it's insane. Final thoughts here, Ben Carpenter. What can we do as citizens? How can we help? You can ask your legislators to help the state government better manage. 
HB 194 is a rewrite of the Executive Budget Act. It would help the legislature and the executive branch better manage itself. All right. That's how we're going to get to reduce the size and scope of our government is to get a more efficient government. And we have to be better managers. And that's that just has to happen. Yeah. Well, Ben Carpenter, I don't uh, envy you, my friend, your upcoming, you know, 20 week uh, vacation down there in Juneau. I'm sure that'll be fantastic. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on board and joining us this morning. We appreciate it. Uh, uh, we appreciate you. Hold the line for just a second. Folks, we got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show, Hour 2, dead ahead, right here. <clears throat> uh, this question's been asked a couple times in the chat room, and I wanted to get one final bite here before I let you go, Ben. Uh, people were asking about, you know, the the pay raise. They're like, okay, yeah, we could see that the pay raise needed to, you know, that the pay needed to be changed, but 67%? Did you have a, I mean, I don't think you and I ever really talked about that. Is there, do you have any thoughts on the legislative pay increase that, you know, again, kind of the tone, nobody read the room. They didn't take a, you know, a little bit of tone deafness there. Like everybody's struggling. Everybody's having a hard time, but we just got a 67% pay raise. Um, did you, do you have any thoughts on that uh, coming forward? Well, I was against the pay raise from the very beginning. It was the first thing that the that the Senate president asked of, of me and of others that were sitting at the table on practically day one last session last year was, Hey, what do you think about a pay raise? I'm like, I don't, I, I don't want to reward myself with a pay raise when I haven't solved the problems that the people have sent me here to solve. I think it's totally deaf, right? Why would I do that? Right. That is dumb. Do, do I think that, that, um, legislators, especially if they're trying to raise a family on 50,000 a year. Uh, no, they're not. They're, they're going to have to go work another job, right? That's probably what we should do. Right. That's but, why they call them citizen legislators and not professional right, legislators. Right, right. exactly. It, but I'll, I'll tell you, <laughs> as someone who's who spent the time there, is that if I work another job, when I work another job, I'm going to have to take time off of that job to do legislative stuff during the interim. So that limits me as to what it is that I can do in a part-time job. I'm going to have to, because people still call and want me to deal with certain issues. Right. There's things that arise and I have to go represent. That's, that's my duty, right? Right. So I am limited into, uh, uh, by that uh, responsibility into what it is that I can do in the private sector. That's why I think that, that owning my own business fits me the best. Right. I can tell you that it's it's difficult to manage a legislative job and doing your own business. It's even harder if you're not your own boss and right. you've got to ask somebody for time off. Yeah. Yeah. Ask so my, ask so do we get better results if we have legislators that are better paid? I, I don't know that that's accurate. It's going to make it easier for us to not have to work a second job. But well, but even if that's true, and let's just let's just assume that it's true, you're going to get better legislators because you pay more, yada yada. Is it? I mean, it's all. It's at that point, it's almost about the optics of what's going on. I mean, the state's in a tailspin financially. The private sector is crumbling. All this other stuff's going on, and you're like, I think go give us a pay raise. That just seems like you are tone deaf at that point. Well, no. You talk to some legislators in the in in the legislature, and they're going to tell you that the economy is the government spend. Well, yeah. Period. 
Yeah. So this is an example of the of the level of thinking for many people in the legislature is that this is what was necessary. We have to raise the pays of pay of legislators and, and government employees, right? Define benefits. This is we have to raise this because this is the economy. Right. Everything else it's, is ancillary. It's, yeah. It's everything. a it's a it's a misunderstanding of true economics. And I it's frustrating. Yeah. So no, I, I would not have uh, I did not and would not have agreed to uh, increase our pay before we have dealt with some major issues. I mean, what are you what are you going to do? Where's that increase going to come from? Well, it's going to come from permanent fund earnings. Right. So are we going to take from the dividend from families who are, are struggling to make ends meet in order to increase legislator pay? It's yes. bonkers. Yes, we are. That's what we're, exactly what we're going to do. That's exactly what we're going to do, <laughs> yeah. and it's bonkers. It's complete bonkers. Yeah. No, I I totally agree at this point. Um. All right. Well, Ben, I know you got to hit the road. Thank you so much for coming on board this morning. I appreciate you spending the time with us. We look, always a pleasure, Michael. We look forward to um, you know you're always welcome to come on the program and and share these numbers and share this information because I think that's all we can do at this point is share the numbers, share the info, show what people, you know, again, a 50% increase uh, in spend, you know, a, a 4% increase in employees, uh, uh, you know, the overall expenditures jumping, you know, $5 billion. I mean, they, they just, it cannot continue. That's the thing. Um, and, and that's just insane at this point. Agreed, my friend. Yeah. It will be an interesting session. That is guaranteed it will be an interesting session and better you than me my friend uh, just you know <laughs> may you gird up your loins and put on the armor as far as that goes i appreciate it thank you so much for coming on board have a good day all right thanks so much ben carpenter our guest here uh on the michael duke show uh yeah i mean yeah what the what the hell <sighs> i just don't understand. I just, just, I, I, you know, you cannot. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. I just don't fathom it. Yep. I, I just don't know, man. I don't know. These people who, you know, they just want the PFD. Well, they're going to get their wish. The thing is, is that they can't see beyond that. Right. They can't see beyond the getting the PFD and getting all that spend and then realizing that government is just going to continue to grow beyond that. And there will be no I mean, it's going to be. And the federal dollars are going to shrink and then that's going to have to be made up somewhere. And then pretty soon it'll either be extraordinarily high taxes in the state of Alaska or. And or there's going to have to be all these cuts. We're going to we're going to continue this discussion on the other side. And we've got some headlines and 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 like and share, like and follow, subscribe, ring the bell, do all that stuff. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio.
that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. It's uh, hour two of the big radio show, and we have just finished up with uh, state representative uh, Ben Carpenter, who uh, came in and just laid some... Just laid some laid some truth on it. Just laid some truth on us. Uh, and, you know, I, boy, I, I just told him here uh, during the commercial break here, right before we came back on, I just, I just said, you know, I'm, I'm, I do not envy him having to go down there and, um, and, and having to face this, this, this problem. Because it seems like everybody is just living in this fantasy world of, um, well, if we just if we just took all of the PFD, it would be it would be better for for all of us. That government, he, I mean, he really kind of nailed it, you know. Because we were talking about during the commercial break, somebody, several people had asked the question um, during the first hour. Uh, we hadn't gotten to it while we were on the air, but the question was about the. Um, the pay raise for legislators, you know, legislators last year, for those of you who don't know, voted themselves a 67 percent pay raise. Um, now, there's arguments as to whether or not the pay raise was necessary. Some people would say, well, yeah, you know, that, you know, and there are arguments to be had for, yes, a pay increase is good, but 67 percent in a time when the state is struggling. Uh, we have deficit spending. We don't have a balanced budget. We're, you know, all these other kinds of things. And, um, yeah, it it, uh, it it seemed like it was a little tone deaf. Let's just put it that way. Uh, he went on to talk about uh, in the past hour as well about how that there is a group of folks down there that just want to see uh, they would be okay with a permanent fund just completely going away and that money being spent by them, that to them, the government economy is the economy. That the public sector, you know, that the that as long as the public sector is doing okay, that's okay. Not just totally not paying attention to what's happening in the private sector at all. A complete and total disconnect. And the problem is, of course, is even if we give them the full PFD, which you know, I mean, what we get, we got 75, 25, this last go around, right? So even if you give them the additional 25% of the PFD and just said, ah, just take it, you know, better than we, how we should spend our money, then 
the problem is, is that in just a couple short years, that money is all gone and consumed as well. And even though the earnings reserve will continue to grow, the earnings from the permanent fund will continue to grow, eventually there will be, there just won't be enough money. And on top of that, and because we, we really haven't even really on this program touched too much on a lot of the federal spending um, that we're seeing here. And but Representative Carpenter was just talking about it. We had like a six billion dollar overall spend, um, you know, and now we're upwards of almost fourteen billion dollars between state and federal dollars that are being spent. That can't continue either. That 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 can't continue either because the federal government doesn't have any. I mean, we had nearly a trillion dollars in just debt service expenses last year. This year it will be over a trillion. It was 900 million and change this last year. This upcoming year it's going to be 1.1 something trillion dollars just in paying the debt. And you understand that means we have to borrow more to pay for regular services to pay for the debt which increases the debt service which I mean this <sighs> math does not lie, folks. Arithmetic does not lie. And it's unfortunate, but that's uh, that's where we're at. Now, again, I don't I do not envy any of the legislators who have to go down and are facing all this stuff and all these problems that are going <laughs> going on down there, especially on the second half of this session, and we really didn't talk about, um, uh, we really didn't talk about, uh, you know, the actions of the Senate at the end of the last session, where they basically held the rest of the legislature hostage, and uh, you know, threw threw all that to the wind. We we really didn't talk anything about that, but that could come about again. And we had House minor House majority members who, in the long run, decided to just call it a day and and say everything was good and then move forward. Will they stand together um, for this legislative session? Will they come together and hold and hold the line? Hold the line. I don't know. I hope so. I hope that that's the answer. I hope that people like Ben are able to maybe sway some of the people who are there in the legislature to make them understand the, you know, the basics of the economics that we're dealing with here. That we can't continue to, you know, put these dollars in uh, or expect these dollars to continue to come in at in this at this level. That we can't continue to basically ignore what's happening in the private economy. I mean, I don't know how many of you out there have been out and about or who are business owners or have been out and about talking to local business owners, but <clears throat> it's challenging. Let's just say the least. It's challenging right now for a lot of business owners of what's going on. Not only is there an amount of uncertainty um, but many of these business owners are struggling just to make sure that they've got a bunch of people here who uh, who can actually show up to work and do their things. And and it, it's just it's so frustrating to watch. It is so frustrating to watch. 
and look at the numbers and see that these people are basically running from one legislative session to the next with no long-term plan on where the state spending is going. And of course, now all the discussion is on, now all the discussion is on, well, we need, now we need to find benefits. Now we need to find benefits um, because we're having a problem retaining. Well, obviously not. You increased 600 and something employees in the last three years. So apparently you're not having that much trouble, whole, you know, increasing, uh, increasing the hiring and retention and everything else. It's just another boondoggle to increase the, and, and again, protect the private sector spend. It's, I mean, it's just, it's just astonishing, just astonishing. And if we can't get legislators who will hold the line, who will stand up and take a stand, we obviously don't have a governor who's going to do that. He had the opportunity to do some mad cutting in this last, uh, in this last uh, budget cycle and could have, and could have, he made some good cuts. Let me just, again, made some good cuts, but he could have done more, but I think he was unsure as to whether or not the legislature would hold the line and stand with him. And that's a problem. So we got a, we got an in, may we live in interesting times is definitely is definitely the uh, the mantra that we are living by right now, for sure. Absolutely the mantra we are living uh, by um, right now. Brian says, I have a coworker who starts the interview process by asking if the applicant is willing to take a drug test. That shortens the interview process. I mean, in this day and age, yeah, absolutely. It absolutely will shorten the whole process. I mean, just trying to find people who will show up for work. That's the, that's the important, I mean, it is, if I had a nickel just in the last three years, every time I had an employer or a business owner tell me, I'm just looking to, I have done more radio recruitment, hiring ads for businesses in the last three years than I'd done in the previous 15, where we put advertising out on the radio saying that such and such a business was looking for new employees because it's hard. I mean, what, you know, you would think that people would want to go out there and get a good job and, and you know, and, and beat, but it, and I don't know what these people are doing. That's what kills me on that is that, you know, all these people, we've got all this, uh, you know, we've got unemployment, but we've got all these unfunded, unfilled positions, I mean, in the private sector. And my question is, what are, what are these people doing now that they're not working at a regular job or a business. Um, it's astonishing. Uh, I mean, I've had people who just, you know, who worked for me, that came to work for me, and just one day they just don't show up. Not a see you later, Charlie, not a text message, not an email, not an anything else. And these aren't just young kids. These are like full-on grown-ass adults. You know what I mean? And I'm just like, well, what do you do if you're not, do you just, what are you doing these days? How are you paying the bills? I mean, it's, uh, it's, 
it's astonishing where we're at today. But we already know what the priorities are going to be. We already know where the priorities are going to be and what they want us to uh, what they want us to focus on. The the legislative priorities are going to be the BSA, um, uh, and it's going to be <clears throat> um, here we go that school funding, the BSA, uh, energy, the PFD, the defined benefits program, and ranked choice voting. Those are all going to be big issues for the coming year. And that that is going to be where the battles are going to be are going to be fought. Now, again, it doesn't matter how true or false it is. They've got the momentum uh, on their side. They've got the uh, the news media is, you know, basically out there just parroting everything. That, it doesn't matter. I mean, we we're, we I think we're going to have Sarah Montalbano on the program next Monday for Montalbano Monday, where we get a chance to talk about uh, education things. Um, and we'll talk with her again about this this uh, mantra that you're hearing out of the out of the uh, the news media and the left and everybody else about how we just haven't we just haven't increased our school funding. We just haven't increased our school funding um, that, that, you know, we've been neglecting it, that we're, I mean, we've had some people be basically saying that we're not fulfilling our constitutional mandate, um, you know, and, and they're very selective about this kind of stuff, especially when they talk about things where they're very only talking about the BSA, how it's had a very slight increase, ignoring all the one-time funding that's gone on outside of that to where we've seen a 20% increase in education overall, if you include all the one-time funding and everything else. Um, but see, that's that's the mantra. That's the that's the that's the narrative that's been picked up. Oh, we need to. Well, I'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take a break. And when we come back, I might dive into this, or I might dive into some other stories as well. Depends on how I feel. How about that? We'll be back. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like, share, subscribe. Come on out and join us on Facebook and YouTube. We'll return with more in just a moment. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Okay. Uh, oh, where are we? <laughs> Herder just said... You've said astonishing at least three times in the last few minutes. Yeah, I hear you. I'm almost speechless. I mean, how is it that you and I can look at this and go, yep, yep, 
growth of stuff over here. Yep, yep. And even the PFDs coming up over here, but they cross and pretty soon the growth outpaces the PFD. And then we look at the future and we see multiple years of million dollar deficits. And I mean, how can we see that? And these legislators would be like, oh, no, it's fine, fine, just fine. Don't worry about it. Too big to fail. It's all good. I mean, really? That's the... Anyway. Um, okay. <laughs> Jim, Jim says, a lot of grown-ass adults are living with their parents. That's what they're doing. I mean, not shocking in this day and age. The multi-generational household is uh, is coming back, has been coming back. I mean, I've got uh, two kids over 20 who are living with me still. Uh, it's just the way it is, right? That's just the way it is. And my wife and I had a conversation about this a while ago, and she's like, it's happening all over the place. It's, it is happening all over the place. Um, there aren't enough people in this state and more infrastructure we can't afford to maintain isn't going to change that fact. I mean, Donna Ardwin threw some numbers out early on in the program. Uh, let me scroll way back. Oh, there it is right there. Okay. Donna threw this out here. Now, for those of you who don't know, Donna Ardwin is a special, she's a finance lady, right? And she's helped states like Florida and California and everything else try and get themselves back on track. So she knows this stuff. She worked for the state. She was working for the governor when he put out that first budget and immediately got fired because, oh, man, we can't possibly cut the size and scope of government here. But Donna says, in response to a question from Brian, who said, how many employees... Brian says, how many employees does Alaska support as a function of population compared to other states? Uh, Donna says, Brian, Florida has 409 state employees per 10,000 population. Alaska has 687 employees for every 10,000 in population, the second highest in the country. She then goes on to say, Florida also spends one quarter of what Alaska does per capita. I mean, can, can we not? We need to look at what other places have done. Not that we have to monkey see, monkey do, but you always look to the places that, you know, I, I'm, I like the idea of the smorgasbord, you know, the grocery store method. I go in, I pick up the things that I want, and I leave the rest. Can't we look at other states and what they've been doing well and emulate that? Or is it just we're just different in Alaska here and we, you know, and again, this all comes back to the politician's disease of, you know, we know better than you how to spend your money. That's really what this whole thing comes down to. That's that's uh, that's insane. You know, that's insane. All right, we're 40 seconds out. Jim says, as long as grown-ass kids have jobs, multi-generational homes are great. Yeah, that's true. That is true. That's true. Um, 
other states tax the donor class, says Bill. And Chris says also Florida has the highest property taxes in the world. Um, it's interesting. I mean, you know, you have to look at all the, you can't look at anything in isolation. You can't look at any one number. You have to look at them all holistically, but it would be interesting to do a, a serious deep dive on that and discuss it. Um, all right, we got to go. The Michael Duke show, common sense radio. The Michael Duke show, not your daddy. Wait, sorry, not your daddy. Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. Whew, I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. Okay. (laughs) Sourdough Steel is watching us on Twitch, and he says... Or she says, I love it when I pop into the stream and the first thing I hear is a big sigh. It'll be a great show. <laughs> I mean, it's because I am. I'm, I'm heavy sighing. I'm heavy sighing. That's for sure. I'm just at some point, I'm just be like, oh, man, this is so painful. It's so painful to uh, to watch this kind of stuff and to know. But again, I've been doing this for 25 years. I've been, you know, I've been I've been crowing from the rooftops for 25 years that this time is coming and stuff is tough, but what are you going to do? All right. Well, you know what? Let's um let's take a detour here. This made national headlines and has affected a lot of people. Um, for those of you who don't know, the emergency landing of an Alaska Airlines jet has prompted federal authorities to ground the Boeing 737 MAX 9 aircraft, adding another episode to the history of Boeing's MAX lineup of jets. This Alaska Airlines jetliner blew out a portion of its fuselage seven minutes after takeoff, three miles above Oregon on Friday night, forcing the pilots to make an emergency landing. None of the 171 passengers or six crew were seriously injured, but the rapid loss of cabin pressure caused oxygen mass to drop from the ceiling. The NTSB uh, chair, Jennifer Homendy, said the two seats next to the part that tore off were unoccupied. And if you've seen pictures of it, I bet that they were glad because their clothes probably would have been stripped off. It stripped all the padding and the covers off all the seats. I mean, there was like nothing there but a frame. And that's probably why you should always wear your seatbelt while you're in the plane. Even when you're, you know, oof, man. The Federal Aviation Administration ordered the grounding of some of the MAX 9s, or most of them. The emergency order affects 171 planes worldwide. Um, the NTSB has begun an investigation that it's likely to last months and focus on what they call a plug. It's a paneled over exit door that blew off. The so-called door plug is installed on some planes that have fewer seats instead of an emergency exit panel. Uh, the jets grounded by the FAA all have that panel installed. Um, Alaska Airlines has grounded its entire fleet of 65 MAX 9s for inspections and maintenance. Uh, but, uh, the, that means that they had to cancel 170 flights yesterday, affecting 25,000 passengers. And they said, uh, they canceled 139 flights today. Um, United Airlines, which is the world's biggest operator of MAX 9s, grounded its entire fleet of 79 
of 79 MAX 9s and is seeking to clarify they had to cancel 204 flights this morning. That's almost 7% of all planned departures. Of all planned departures. Uh, U.S. Uh, Alaska and United are the only two uh, U.S. Uh, airlines that operate the MAX 9. Uh, the company operates nearly two-thirds of the 215 MAX 9s that are in service around the world. Uh, Panama, uh, Turkestan, Iceland, uh, Dubai, and Kazakhstan have the rest of the, uh, have the, rest of the fleets out there. Uh, so no word as to what's going to happen uh, as it goes through. But they are, uh, if you're planning on traveling by air, probably going to be a little, uh, little slow, little, little slow, little different. You might want to fly somebody other than Alaska or United. Um, and we'll see, we'll see where it goes from here. But the pictures of this door, uh, uh, of this, uh, of this, uh, this panel that's been ripped out and the, and the, Stuffing. I when I saw that and the stuffing was ripped right, the covers and the seats and everything else, and I'm like, ooh, if somebody had been there, it would have stripped them buck naked right there on the thing. Just all that. Oof. I, I'm I'm glad. Let me just put it that way. I'm glad that uh, it uh, it it nobody was sitting there and everybody made it home safely. And now they air travel, by the way, still incredibly safe. Um. Compared to, you know, even just being on the highway, air travel still incredibly safe um, for because uh, what did they say here? Uh, let's see. There's not a beneficial crash in the U.S. Uh, of a U.S. airliner since 2009. Um, the uh, the incident also renewed questions about the safety of Boeing's Max aircraft. Uh, but anyway, flying is still very, very safe uh, for most people. But. You know, it's still got to still got to make you wonder. Still got to make you wonder. Um, the ongoing legal harassment of Kelly Shibaka has taken a turn for the better. The Alaska Public Offices Commission (APOC) ruled in favor of Shibaka after Scott Kendall, Scooter Kendall. And Alaskans for Better Elections filed a bunch of claims against her and the group she formed to fight rank, uh, rank choice voting, preserve democracy, earlier this year. The staff of the APOC Commission had recommended a fine of more than $23,000 because Chewbacca had stated that elections should be, quote, easy to understand and accessible to everyone. That was the quote. That was the quote that Scooter Kendall and company used when they went to APOC. And APOC said, oh, yes, well, that's very obviously electioneering. When you say elections should be easy to understand and accessible to everyone. Well, Kelly Shabaka appealed the recommendation to the commission itself, arguing, one, that she had the constitutional right to say that she opposes ranked choice voting and that she spoke against the system during events not within the jurisdiction of APOC. And two, she pointed out that APOC's own attorney basically argued in favor of the same position that she just stated that elections should be easy to understand and accessible to everyone in front of the Alaska Supreme Court last fall. 
saying that it only has the right to regulate expenditures that exhorts Alaska to vote for or against ballot measures. Since the Preserve Democracy website said nothing to Alaskans about how to vote, and there is no matter pending on a ballot about ranked choice voting, she argued that APOC trying to regulate her speech was a violation of her First Amendment constitutional rights. And they agreed with her and completely dismissed Kendall and Alaskans for Better Elections allegations. The commission also found no evidence that Chewbacca had ever operated as a lobbyist, which was another claim that Scooter put out there. And they further determined that Chewbacca and Preserve Democracy ran a nonpartisan get-out-the-vote campaign that did not trigger APOC recording uh, reporting requirements. So <laughs> it's it's all good. It's all good. Uh, we should get we should get Kelly back on the program to talk about this because this is I mean this is part of that whole lawfare thing. Now, on the flip side of that, you saw what happens uh, for Alaskans for Honest Elections, right? That was the anti-rank choice voting group. They had a decision that was handed down from the uh, from the staff, not from the commission. Ninety thousand dollars in fines. I mean, it's just so arbitrary. The whole thing. The the whole APOC commission is, you know, I worked with some of those folks when I was uh, on the borough assembly 10, 12 years ago up in Fairbanks. And they've got some good folks who are working on there. Don't get me wrong. Some of the people are into it. But just the whole, you know, kind of amorphous pulling a number out of the hat kind of thing. It's just like they pluck a number out of thin air. Oh, we think we'll find you this much. Anyway, $90,000 is what they are going to try and charge Art Mathias uh, and Phil Eisen and the whole group over there at Alaskans for Honest Elections. Uh, they have got a Kevin Clarkson is going to be is apparently filing an appeal, which will go. I don't know where it's going, whether it's going to the commission or whether it's going to the courts, but they're going to fight that as well. But this is what Scooter Kendall has got. We got this lawfare going on where anytime he sees something he doesn't like, he's going to call. I mean, he could call APOC about this program. Not that APOC has any jurisdiction, but that's never stopped them before. So it'll be, it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to see. But I imagine that Kelly probably had to pay some money for an attorney to help her with some of that stuff. Uh, you know, that's the problem is that the only people that win in those situations in the long run are the attorneys who are making money. They're the ones that are getting paid on this deal. But maybe it's a time to sit down and rethink the whole APOC situation. Maybe we should be looking at other states to see how they do uh, their public offices thing. And, uh, you know, just these random complaints that can just be dropped in there and then you're forced to defend yourself from them. It's a it's an interesting it's an interesting situation. But congratulations to Kelly Chewbacca. Uh, all allegations dismissed by APOC for that. I just congrats. Congrats. Uh, somebody who's not having a good as day as Kelly Chewbacca is former Representative Gabrielle Ledoux, who was indicted in 2020 for activities related to election fraud. She's had numerous delays, uh, but today her lawyers will be in the courtroom of Judge Kevin Saxby setting the dates for trial once again. She was supposed to go to trial in November, but she won some kind of delay she, along with her former chief of staff and the chief of staff's adult son, are all accused of encouraging people who didn't live in the district to vote for her in the 2018 election. 
And uh, there were other charges related to a 2014 election. Those were all dismissed by the judge. And, um, well, let's just say she's she's been having a bad four years. Let's just put it that way. She's been having a bad four years, and today is going to set the trial for uh, um, for what's coming up. I just, you know, I, I don't know. Speaking of court appearances, today, judge the Judge Murphy trial, there's going to be arguments. Oh, I had this email. I should have pulled this up. Uh, 10 a.m. Last week they were saying it was going to be in Homer, but... Um, today or, uh, yesterday they, uh, the, the Alaska grand jury, uh, association said, no, it's going to be in the Nesbitt courthouse in Anchorage. So this morning, 10 AM, uh, oral arguments on judge Murphy's motion to dismiss the felony indictment against her. Several TV stations are going to be there to cover it. And so the Alaska Grand Jurors Association is asking anybody that has the time to come down and attend. They're planning on waving signs to support jury rights from 830 to 930 in front of the courthouse down there at the Anchorage Courthouse, uh, the, the Nesbitt Courthouse. Uh, so they're going to be they're going to be doing that. And we will see what happens this morning with this motion to dismiss. They initially, as we talked about last week, had looked for a way to try and keep all this kind of under wraps. And the judge had said, uh, no, <laughs> we're going to be as above board um, as we can possibly be. We're going to try and be as above board the third presiding district judge, Thomas Matthews, denied the Judge Murphy's uh, request to dispense with oral arguments. The reason for the denial is he said the judge said it's important that this case is, quote, transparent and open to the public. And then they had the then they had the, the change. So it's uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll see what happens from there. But, yeah, definitely it'll be an interesting day at the courthouse today. For sure. Okay, uh, one final segment coming up. We've got some other stories. Um, oh, and a good, some good news. Do you like bunny boots? I love bunny boots. Can you find them in your size? No, neither can I. I might have some good news for you on that side. I'll be back with more. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, Kelly is an attorney. I, I knew that, but you know what I mean. Somebody's got to do all that work, Donna. Somebody should get paid for it. Um, I'm going over here. Uh, that was a crazy story. I flew an uh, Sourdough Steel says on Twitch, that was a crazy story. I flew on an, uh, in Alaska Max 9 not even a week before. Fortunately, nothing on the airline, just the plane manufacturer. 
No, yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly what's going on there, but something, uh, th- something's going on. Um, <laughs> the aircraft had empty seats. That's amazing. Um, Florida's property tax burden is actually at the national average. Alaska's burden is higher, says Donna Ardwin. We should, you know, Donna, we should, we should lay all that stuff out in a specific, we should, we should do that. Um, when I, um, Denise, I don't know what you're, what you're talking about here specifically. She said, when I tried to submit a claim anyways, it said they couldn't process my claim because number one, I may not have all my info correct. Or number two, I may have used profanity. I did not use profanity, but now I want to. So I don't know exactly what you're talking about there specifically. Was there something specific that you were claim? Was this on an APOC thing or was that something else? Anyway. Um, all right. Uh, um, <laughs> when Donna said that Kelly Chivaka is an attorney from Harvard Law and Brian says, Donna, given the recent events at Harvard, I'm not sure I'd admit that. Yeah. Oh, man. There's a... Higher, <clears throat> higher academia getting a bloody nose over and over and over again is not, it's not a good look for a lot of these places. Not a good look at all for many of these folks. Look back on the threat. Well, the problem is, Denise, is that uh, Denise is saying look back at the threat. I can't see, I know that the threads get nested and you might be responding to something else, but I don't see it that way because I see Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch all together. So it unnests all the conversations. So you might respond to something, and I don't see what you responded to previously. So that was why. Just, it's not a big deal. Don't don't worry about it. I'm just, 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 just what you're saying. Um, because what I see is basically just a string of comments. None of them are nested, or I can't see replies. I can't see. I mean, I could see the replies, but they're out of place, right? Somebody asks a question an hour ago. Somebody replies now. I can't see what they're commenting on. So it's one of the it's one of the drawbacks to using the software that I do. But hey, it allows me to broadcast on three places at once. So it's a small price to pay, as far as that goes. And now, apparently, I can also broadcast on X at the same time. Which, do I even care about X? Do I even care about... uh, Um... Oh, UPS is not... USPS is not paying for lost packages from Alaska and Hawaii. I see. I see. Okay. All right. Um, Chris says, Barbara, I was talking about Miami, Florida, Pacifically. Wouldn't that actually be Atlantically instead of Pacifically? Wouldn't it be because it's... (laughs) Sorry. I just couldn't help myself. I just couldn't help myself. I mean, I am a horrible human being. But I just couldn't, I could not help myself, uh, for sure. Don't be extend to, don't be afraid to extend your platform, says Jeannie. Uh, you know, 
there's diminishing returns by the time you get out there to, you know, I mean, hell, I could broadcast on seven platforms. I mean, at, at what point, you know, the lion's share of the people who watch today watch on Facebook. The second largest group, which is probably maybe a quarter to a third of what watch on Facebook, watch on YouTube. And then we get one or two people like Sourdough Steel or somebody else who's watching on YouTube, not Twitch. So do we add one more? I don't know. I don't know. <clears throat> I think I'll just focus on content rather than, I mean, the, all the stuff on the, all the stuff on YouTube and Facebook and all that's just extra. I'm just trying to educate people in the state here as to what needs to go on. I'm not, it's not like I'm looking to get paid for my video influencer tag. I mean, not that I would be opposed to that because I am a capitalist, but, you know. Okay. Um, uh, I don't even know where to go from here. Oh, I know where to go from here. All right, we're ready to do it. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense. You should broadcast on X for Friday just to see what happens, especially on Firearms Friday. Ooh, that's an interesting thought. I have to think about that. Okay, we got to go. Well, let's do it. Common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Let's go. Okay, we're ready for the one final segment of the show. It's got a uniquely Alaskan problem. This will be kind of, this is the positive segment. It's not positive. I mean, it's interesting. Let's just put it that way. Non-political. Non-political. Um... Alaska is definitely different than many other places in the country, that's for sure. It's probably not often that you incent, that you go out there and you see an RFP, which is a request for proposal, right? That's the beginning steps of government wanting to acquire something as an RFP for a bunch of fur hats. <laughs> the Alaska Department of Public Safety is shopping for some distinctly northern items, a collection of fur hats. And parkas. Uh, the intent to buy the hats has been expressed in a state public notice uh, seeking proposals. Uh, it's not about making a fashion statement. Rather, it's about properly equipping public safety employees who work in the cold Alaskan environment. Uh, just like troopers in southeast might be decked out in rain gear and fishing-style rubber boots to work in that wet environment, troopers in the interior and western Alaska can be seen wearing parkas and fur hats of the type that the uh, department is seeking to buy, says Austin McDaniel, the spokesperson for the troopers. While some troopers have local artisans from their region make their authorized fur hats at a personal expense, we also issue troopers this uniquely Alaskan headgear to all troopers as part of their standard issue uniform. They're exposed to some of the harshest environments on the planet as they patrol remote regions of the state to ensure public safety. And this is uh, one of the pieces of outerwear that keeps the troopers warm. 
the notice seeking bids does not specify the quantity of fur hats to be supplied, but the department anticipates buying about 500, excuse me, 50 a year to equip new troopers and to replace damaged hats that are no longer serviceable. And uh, there are some specifications, though. They do have some mill spec. I mean, it's not mill spec, but the hats must be made of either otter or beaver fur, have fur lining around the trim, have leather straps, be warm and waterproof and windproof, be good to temperatures down to minus 40 below. Um, and also, uh, the general, the hats must be functional while being consistent in appearance with hats that are already being used by the troopers. So, uh, you know, that's a... Somebody, somebody could do it. 50 hats a year. I know that those hats usually run about, well, between three and $500, depending on who's making them and what they're made out of. But there you go. Uh, go out there and get, and they are warm. Boy, I tell you what, those hats, almost too warm. Uh, speaking of good news uh, for people who like the outdoors, bunny boots um, are probably the best boots you could ever find. I've only had one pair in my entire life, and I wore I wore them out eventually and have not been able to really find another pair. I haven't looked too much, especially since I moved from Fairbanks. But, um, yeah, they were, I mean, those things, they, were, they are warm. They are known for how warm they are. Um. And finally, they haven't been in production since what? Uh, they stopped making them in the 90s. The military stopped ordering them from the 90s, although they recently commissioned a limited emergency production run. But the gov- And they haven't updated them, the design, in 60 years. I mean, 60 years. An Alaska company plans to bring back the iconic bunny boot that many love for its warmth and temperatures. Alaska Gear Company, which used to be called Alaska Airframes, which I think is part of Alaska Tent and Tarp. If I'm not mistaken, that's part of the... Anyway, bunch of good folks over there. Alaska Gear Company wants to make a better version of the rubber boot that can be hard to find and expensive at Stir Plus stores. Many of the original boots are decades old. And the rubber eventually wears out, according to Sean McLaughlin, the company's majority owner. Uh, The bunny boot is unbelievable in its protection, but it's super old. After two and a half years of planning, the Arctic Outfitter and airplane parts manufacturer has created 30 prototype pairs. It will soon select Alaskans and others to test them this winter in the harshest conditions before it launches commercial production this summer. So they're basically going to get beta testers out there to go take care of it and then, you know, make any improvements that they need to to make it all worthwhile. The Alaska Gear prototype are visibly different from the original ones, which the soldiers began wearing in the Korean War. That's, I mean, it's, it's a while ago. Um, but uh, many Alaskans consider the original bunny boot to be the ultimate cold-weather footwear capable of protecting their feet from freezing even after you've plunged them into overflow ice. And I can guarantee you that they are definitely good. But there were, you know, there were some problems with the boots. I mean, they, they've got they've got the pluses. In my, on the plus side, you're always warm. On the downside, they're kind of slippery. The, you know, they, they are not always the most comfortable. They don't have as much protection up at the top that they probably should. And uh, they're looking to fix all these different problems. 
In the military, the shoes were known as extreme cold vapor barrier boots, but they were nicknamed bunny boots, of course, after they looked like the snowshoe hair. Uh, and they're guaranteed to work uh, down to minus 40. The military has tested them to minus 60. After Alaska Gear Company posted in December uh, and announced their plans on social media, he said they've been getting over 100 emails a day. Every, 100 emails a day since they posted it on social media. Uh, and he said many said that they're ready to sign up as uh, testers. Um I'm a distance musher living off the road system. I can wear a pair of bunny boots to shreds. I've always hoped a modern company would step in and make them commercially and account for all the issues with bunnies. No grip, weak toe box hinge, weak grommets, grommet holes not big enough to double back lacing in the ankle. The list goes on, which it looks like they're going to be doing all this. They said they've been overwhelmed with the responses. The potential volunteer testers who've reached out include a Swedish reindeer herder, and both the U.S. and Canadian militaries have also expressed interest in the new boots design. Even social media influencers have called. They might be interested in a boots post-industrial look, which I just want a boot that keeps my feet warm. Do I need it to be a fashion statement at the same time? Uh, basically, he said, uh, McLaughlin said, they have people that are saying, I don't care what they cost. I'm an influencer and I want to wear this. Okay. Okay. So uh, anyway, McLaughlin has a bunch of the new prototypes out there, about 30 different pair, and they are ready to start distributing them out. The new design has a chunkier tread with more traction. There's more felt insulation in the sole. Uh, the new boots also have an aerated foot liner, and they fit more ergonomically. The calf extends higher for extra waterproof protection and more, and there's no more ankle valve which was great if you were parachuting, but also if you didn't use it right, you could wreck the boot. Um, he said that they actually took it out and decided he and an employee recently tested some of the prototypes in Fairbanks at 30 below. He said he dunked his, this is, this is hardcore. He dunked his socks in water, then went on a three mile hike in the boot. During the hike, he yanked his foot out of the boot, froze it onto the snow tossed snow back in the boot, then slipped it back on before carrying on. He said his feet were in good shape even after all that, which says a lot. Now, they're going to be ready for sale sometime this September, so late late fall, late summer, early fall, uh, with a price of approximately, they don't have it set yet, but it's going to be about $300 for a set of these boots, which is about what you can get a good used set of bunny boots for. They are not cheap. I remember it must have been 15 years ago, 18 years ago. I bought a pair used, obviously, um, and they were 150 bucks back then. So, yeah, uh, brand new, all better, all the good stuff. I'm all about this. This is this is some good. This is the find a need, fill a need. I think this is super cool. Um, maybe we should, uh, maybe we should reach out to Sean and see if we can interview him for this. Cause that would be kind of fun to discuss it and talk about it. That's a piece of Alaskan history. I mean, bunny boots are available worldwide, but, uh, up here in Alaska, it was kind of ubiquitous, right? I mean, they just saw them everywhere. They were the boot of choice. Um, and these look, these look beefy. These look like they would be beefy. I'm I'm kind of excited. I don't necessarily need them anymore, but I almost want a pair just because nostalgia and all that. 
it just shows that you can do stuff here in a you know you can do stuff here in Alaska. So it's uh, it's 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 good stuff. Well, uh, that does it for um, how much does a bunny boot weigh? About twenty pounds a pair. They say these are only three and a half pounds a piece or a, a pair. Three and a half pounds a pair is what they're saying. Maybe it was a piece. Anyway, bunny boots are heavy, but your feet are going to be warm, and that's the important part. That's the important part. Um, all right. Well, <clears throat> that's it for today, my friends. Tomorrow is Tuesday. Brad Keithley, Chris Story. And uh, we will uh, be back with more. Wednesday, we're hoping to have Mike Shower. Next Monday, Sarah Montalbano. On Friday, Chris Chang. It's a full week already. We will see. We will see you guys tomorrow. Have a great day. Be kind. Love one another. Live well. All right. Sourdough Steel says, wish more people would migrate over here to Twitch. Not a big fan of the echo chamber. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, not a lot of people on Twitch for political shows, I think, unfortunately. Well, it's going to be a uh, it's going to be a good day today for you, my friends. We will see you tomorrow. Have a good one. We'll see you then.
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show.